Hello, listeners, and thank you for tuning in to a Time to Stand podcast. This is your host, Kelly, and today we're going to be bringing you the second installment of our interview with the recently graduated high school student, Kaya Kemmerling. Kaya, if you listened in last week, was sharing with us the start of what she's experienced in Northern California at a public charter school. Kaya attended part of middle school and high school at this charter school, and her experiences and stories shed light on the condition of our education system, which is rapidly changing from the public school to the public charter school and even some of the private schools. It's important if you're sending your, your children to be informed and aware, to be equipped and encouraged Remember, when you hear all of this information that we're discussing today, that today's episode and second installment is intended for an adult audience. The topics are often going to be mature, considered the experiences that Kaya had in her high school. And so, Kaya, I'd just like to welcome you back for this second installment. Thank you so much for inviting me to be here to discuss what is really going on in schools after parents drop their kids off and people really need to know what is going on, especially young children who might be going into high school or into junior highs and middle school. Now that we're going to kind of switch gears a little bit and talk about the sexuality education. California in 2015 produced a bill. The bill was titled the California Healthy Youth Act and this became law in California in 2016. By 2018, it was required to be implemented in all public schools and then in August, that extended to charter schools. So you were in a charter school up until your recent high school graduation, and you've recently turned 18. And one of the things that this sex education was promoted as is an inclusive sex education. But the interesting thing about it is that it is graphic towards all types of sex acts. And many people don't realize that comprehensive sexuality education started at the United Nations in the 1990s and that the organizations behind it actually changed the definition of the word sexuality to then include pleasure and eroticism. One of the things that happened when that California Healthy Youth Act became law, and for any of our listeners wondering about this particular content, It's required right now, once in middle school and again in high school. Parents or guardians are allowed to opt their student out, their child out of this sex education class. But at the same time, these topics in ways are being woven into other areas of education. And in accordance with this, it's it's taught usually with a specific curriculum, then what the California Department of Education then developed was an updated health framework draft. With the health framework draft, 
there was different books and literature and lessons recommended for various grades, but I specifically remember going to the Department of Education, going to those hearings, and knowing what books were being recommended and being completely shocked by some of the books. I remember in 2019 hearing that a board member from California Department of Education said that these are not bad books, but that they were removing them from the health framework, some of them, not all of them. They were removing them so that nobody would think that they're being required. Now, a health framework, for anybody listening, is going to be different from the sex education. A health framework, imagine it in the sense of a teacher being able to go to a f salad buffet and pick and choose whatever they want to put on their plate for their classroom. So they have that autonomy in their classroom to go as extreme or as light as far as the content of that health framework for their class. Now, the comprehensive sexuality education, which they're now starting to call comprehensive sex education because people started figuring out that the word sexuality had been redefined by the World Health Organization, that the International Planned Parenthood Federation was involved. And so they started really changing the branding to comprehensive sex education. But that has specific approved curriculum that's allowed to be used in the classroom for this. And so it's not really a teacher pick and choose like a framework is. So it's kind of like going to somebody's house and they're making dinner and they fix your plate and they put it in front of you and that's what you get. So that's kind of the difference between the comprehensive sexuality education and the health framework. It's really important to note that while it's only required once in middle school and again in high school, it can be approved by the school board to be brought to any grade. So it's really important. Parents and taxpayers, pay attention to where your tax dollars are going because that is your money. And when it comes to the health framework, that can be taught to any grade at the teacher's and school staff's discretion. So Kaya, we were at an event recently. One of the most egregious graphic books that I remember seeing in the California Health Framework update, which has been approved, was this book by a woman named Heather Karina. She's the founder and editor of Scarletine.com, and it's called SEX the all-you-need-to-know progressive sexuality guide to get you through high school and college. I remember looking at this book because it was recommended in the health framework as a school-wide read. Yes, you heard that right. It was recommended as a school-wide read for 9th to 12th grades. And the book is highly graphic. The book is, I would say, the equivalent of a Playboy magazine, but instead of photographs, it is graphic descriptions, including um, a very detailed graphic description. 
including the slang terms of each individual sexual act and including all the how-tos. And then you have sections with a title and then it says in bold, what is it and how do I do it? And it's a very long detailed graphic description. And then in the end, it is a short one sentence, maybe two sentences of the potential STD slash STI risk. Wow. And so this book was removed and parents thought, well, maybe, maybe it's removed. So there's a little bit of reassurance there. But here's the concern. The book is still in some ways recommended through the Comprehensive Sexuality Education's curriculum. So even though the California Department of Ed removed it from their health framework, it is still referenced, even if it's in a roundabout way. Scarletine.com may be recommended to a teenager in school through the Comprehensive Sexuality Education courses. But I was speaking at an event and Kaya was also speaking. And typically we have a display of books for reference. And this happened to be one of the books that was on the table. And Kaya, do you want to share? You walked up to the book, right? Yes, I immediately recognized the cover because we had a bookshelf of them in one of my classes. And I, I immediately recognized the cover and was like, hey, this was part of my sex ed curriculum. And it was a very interesting reaction on your face right. once I, I pointed that out. But I would really like to emphasize is that these different topics that we're discussing, like the comprehensive sexuality education or the discussion of men oppressing women and young, um, young men in high school also having the life experience to apparently have oppressed numerous women in their lives. This is not limited to just a government class, an ethics class. This is found through every single class. And just to give you all a little picture of the, the health class setup that we had, it was definitely a framework that they gave the teachers under the traditional names of the drug unit, the safe sex unit, et cetera, et cetera, right? And the, the birthing unit. And so all of the main title names seem very normal to a parent and they could relate it to their education and go, oh, okay, that's entirely appropriate. I had the same thing. And But what they don't understand is the specific details and books and websites offered even the different devices they bring into class for an exhibition of sorts. That is something else that's very interesting. That's like the models they use? They brought in a box of dildos one day to class and handed one out to everyone and said, you need to know this, and gave us a bunch of condoms and decided that it was um, time for some hands-on practice. And you mentioned the Scarlet Teen website that was used in numerous classes where the teachers used their projector to project it onto the whiteboard and went through the website and were, were telling us about all the wonderful outlets and all of the in-depth descriptions and basically a how-to manual on your personal life. 
which gets very graphic, as you said. So uh, the discussions and the websites and the models used and all of those things. Right. So it was not just limited to this book we have here, but our teachers went as far as to include their own personal experiences, their own sexual past, in order to give us a better understanding of those scenarios and role play descriptions that we're reading in those books in their own personal lives to put it in a more realistic light. So I heard about teachers' personal decisions they do on their free time, um, and a few of them prided themselves on not having a conventional marriage, which they have their own very personal details that are very shocking to hear, especially when you're in class and not expecting to hear about a person's um, personal details that should remain between the married couple. Basically, and I remember you sharing this, you had a teacher that shared about basically a non-monogamous relationship, an open marriage. Yes, she was seen um, around town by some classmates of mine with a different man other than her husband. She would bring up how cute her husband looks um, when he cross-dresses and the different parties they attend together. Um, there was an assortment that she described. So it was not limited to just that one teacher, but also another one I can think of right now is a woman who's married to a man. They have a child together, but she described her her past with a her relationship with a woman and how she's bisexual but married to a man to really show the diversity in married uh, couples in relationships and how you don't have to be uh, in a regular heterosexual relationship and still be labeled as such because she wanted to identify with a larger audience than what might be presumed when giving a classic sex ed class, which many parents nowadays will relate themselves to, when in fact that is not the education children are getting at all. So would... When this was occurring, was this closer to when you were in 11th grade or 12th grade? or? This happened my entire 9th grade year, so I was 14. Um, I think my classmates, the age range was 14 to 15-year-olds, so if you can imagine, uh, if you have a child that age, then learning about topics that extend far beyond the classic uh, man-woman relationships and the safe sex condom talk. We are discussing much different uh, forms of birth control as well as encouraging us to find out what's right for us and the entire goal was to find out what feels good and put your pleasure first. That was essentially the motto for that curriculum. So it goes right alongside that redefinition of that phrase sexuality, that addition in the definition of pleasure and eroticism. And one of the common themes when I'm talking with parents, sometimes when I'm talking with school staff, is that more that are becoming aware of what's happening in the classrooms, what's being taught, what literature is being used, there's more and more people who are seeing that this is being 
marketed as inclusive, but what it is being implemented as is proselytizing towards. So instead of, you know, just some kind of uh, additional lesson on acceptance or value of other humans, this is specifically pleasure-focused and graphic descriptions, how-tos, and then they're getting into encouragement for exploration and encouraging even at your school there was some kind of event that occurred is that was it was an annual event at your school yes so we have a very present group of the lgbtq club on campus my one of the teachers i discussed previously is the head of it she's very involved and hands-on because of her personal life's relevance to the the current event topics that are discussed within that club. And one day out of the school year that we have is called Coming Out Day. And for those of you who don't know, coming out is when you tell your loved ones, family, or friends that you identify as something that is perhaps non-traditional or um, you might be part of the LGBTQ community. There, um, there are some other letters that they're adding on, I believe. So there are many different definitions and um, types of sexualities to keep up with nowadays. And each one, one day out of the year that they'll have coming out days, they'll set up a table in front of the main entrance to the school and out of uh, security concerns um, all year round. Every single other entrance is locked for the safety of the students. So only one entrance is ac- uh, accessible. But they'll have a table out with some stickers. And on that sticker, you're expected to write your sexuality. So, for example, some students who identify as straight will write straight on their little name card sticker. Gay, trans, pansexual, um, queer asexual you could go down the list of letters and you are free to describe yourself however you feel and then afterwards they have this makeshift rainbow arch that they have Um, I believe they keep it in a storage closet and roll it back out once it's that time of the year and you are expected to walk under the rainbow with the promise of a cupcake or a donut afterwards to show that you're either an ally or part of the community to really make those students who may f- um, who might feel like outsiders when considering just the traditional roles you might expect of just uh, a heterosexual male or female and they really want to make them feel as included as possible to destigmatize coming out but um, as you can imagine if you don't identify with that group and you're not wearing a sticker and most of everyone else is then it's an interesting social dynamic to where it's almost the reverse so that is um, coming out day and I believe that there are some other treats that they offer, and it it's almost like a, I don't want to say a bribe, but they're definitely inviting people to come through with the promise of a baked good or something like that. 
It's interesting because so many times we hear about these celebrations for somebody switching their identity or their orientation, sexual orientation, or their gender identity. And we hear of these things being celebrated, but it's interesting to note that while those are celebrated, if any of those people, which there have been plenty of stories like this, there, you know, we've looked into um, the news has covered situations even in, in Europe where young people who have transitioned from one gender to the next, it's even happened here in our country, and then they've decided that wasn't the really right decision for them and they've made a transition back, there's nobody there to celebrate those. There's no acknowledgement of it's only somebody switching to and nothing switching back. As I'm watching through all of this, I'm thinking of the IPPF, International Planned Parenthood Federation, which still has a brochure called Happy, Healthy, and Hot. And it allows for the subject matter of, a, of an HIV-infected youth to decide whether or not, whether or not, to disclose their HIV status to their sexual partner. And the other thing is that that's the same organization that is behind this comprehensive sexuality education. You know, when this was promoted by a Democrat in San Diego who promoted this California Healthy Youth Act bill, it was sponsored by Planned Parenthood. And a lot of the curricular materials often yield some kind of correlation to Planned Parenthood. And the really interesting one I remember seeing was Advocates for Youth, which began in 1980. Advocates for Youth provides rights, respect, responsibility, which is referred to as the three R's. And that particular curriculum was made by Advocates for Youth, which began as a population control organization in 1980. Many people may not realize that Planned Parenthood basically um, in their foundation, they have a foundational belief in population control. And the, the founder of Advocates for Youth under the uh, population control organization it was originally named as and founded as had a correlation to and may have even been on staff at a Planned Parenthood. It's interesting to see the correlation because we've seen, you know, this wave of feminism that encourages women to shout and celebrate their abortion. You know, we've seen the images of singers and actresses celebrating abortion and celebrating Planned Parenthood, even with a cake. And, and yet there is no celebration for a woman who regrets her abortion. There is no celebration for the person who is now regretting any kind of sexual decision or any kind of sex change. One of the things that I want to address is that in the CTA State Council of Education program, providing the minutes from June 1st to 2nd, 2019, the California Teachers Association shared a new business item on page 36. 
It was carried by a two-thirds vote, and it states here that CTA will write policy stating its support for trans students to have the same rights and decision-making abilities that cis students currently enjoy in regards to making medical decisions about their bodies, sexual health, and mental health. It continues, and if you're curious for reference what the phrase cis means, that is referring to straight students, says right here, the rationale, current interpretation of California state law does not allow trans students to begin gender identity confirming hormone therapy without the consent of both legal guardians. However, it does allow for cis minors to receive hormones, for example, birth control, without the barrier of parental permission. Did you hear that phrase? Parents are a barrier. This inequity is of decision-making forces some children to go through the wrong puberty and can negatively impact the child's mental health. That is what the CTA as of 2019 is advocating for because what they're sharing is that 12 year olds can currently leave campus without parental consent or notification and go to Planned Parenthood to obtain birth control or abortion services. But they want 12 year olds to be able to start taking hormone blockers without the barrier of parental permission. And how are those kids going to be provided all the potential risks to these hormone blockers? And what happens, where will this organization, this CTA, where will Planned Parenthood be when, when some of these kids decide, as others have, that this is a choice that they regret? It's interesting because as people celebrate all these decisions, like the rainbow walk at your school, Kaya, or like in society, they shout your abortion and celebrate your abortion. Where is Planned Parenthood when a woman regrets her abortion? Or when the boyfriend or partner has some form of pain or devastation or regret as well. And so it's a, it's a, it's a big discussion because at 12 years old, even some of the content that you've shared I don't feel comfortable looking at this content. And how is a 12 how is a high school student going to feel? But how would a 12-year-old you know our brains are still developing. The prefrontal cortex responsible for decision making is still developing. And to be exposed to this content, young people do not possess the typical capacity to fully comprehend all of what they're being fed. And the really important thing to realize is that input often equates to output. What you feed is what will grow. What you put into your mind and what ideas are being brought forth can oftentimes equate to output. And I'm thankful you have had such an amazing family because it's clear that despite all that you have seen in the schools and been exposed to, you actually chose to challenge some of these teachers. Is that right? Yes. And I would like to point out and talk a little bit more on how schools are painting pictures um, of, well, schools are making parents look like they are getting in the way or inhibiting their children from doing what's right for them, what's their truth, what their 
future is or what it can be, and that the school is being more of a help than the parents, even though if you are a parent, then I can only imagine that you want the best for your child, and it's up to the parent to decide many things. That's why, just to put into context, you're not allowed to drink alcohol until you're 21. You are not able to do many things until you're 18 years old, and those are all for a reason. Unless we're completely throwing out the logic of why many laws are in place, then that completely, I guess you could say, I don't know. Removes the protection. It removes the protection of the children while if you, you can't have both the logic of those laws while supporting 12-year-olds being able to go to Planned Parenthood to receive those services, which may or may not be allowed by the parents. And they're constantly pushing parents more and more out of the picture, right. which is very alarming if you have the privilege to have a child because some people work so hard to have children even though they might not be able to because we have things like adoption for a reason. People love children so much and that love is being undervalued by society and instead they're saying children need to be given these opportunities because the parents don't love them enough or they don't want to teach them what they should be knowing. But that is definitely something that my previous school brought up many times and how, oh, those those people that have those strong beliefs, they they don't want you to learn about relationships, what it really means and they're only teaching it to you under their religious context and they're having these high expectations of you when it's old and archaic and you don't need to listen to that anymore because this is the real answer. And so I did challenge what they were teaching in my school because as you can imagine being a child in that scenario I wasn't able to leave class. I had to be obedient and respect my teacher And so after class, I went and made a visit to my vice principal because he was the main disciplinarian, I guess you could say, and um, was very involved in the social dynamic of the school. And I brought up my concerns and what my teacher was talking about in class, just like um, what she was saying about offering her own personal advice on giving oral pleasure to someone. She called out me and another girl in the class, which was completely uncalled for, inappropriate, and not something that I'm interested or any 14-year-old should be interested in at that point because actually I think we were younger than 14. We were in eighth grade. So this is something even before then. So I brought it up to my vice principal and he said, that he wouldn't believe me unless I had a classmate corroborate my story because, of course, he thinks that I made it up. And coming from the family and background that I did, that's very hard to believe that I would make any of it up at all. It's so sad to see just and devastating and shocking. I think... If, if you're a parent and taxpayer, if you had this book in front of you, and I do have this book in front of me because I wanted to take a look exactly at the book that California Department of Ed's made out like they're removing from the health framework, giving this false impression that it may not make its way into the classrooms where 
that I remember when you picked up that book and you said that that was in your class, I said to you, I first I was shocked because there's a part of me that thought, okay, this book is so graphic that yes, it's a, a student is going to be referred to the website and then from the website, you know, be recommended the book. But there was a part of me that wanted to believe that this book really wasn't in the classrooms anymore. And that's completely false because it was in your class in Northern California. And this book for anybody listening, if you take your kids to the library and you say, take them to the children's section, go find a book. They might walk around the whole library and who knows what kind of books they might come across. But when I was initially doing my research, I stopped into the library in my town where I had frequently in the past told my kids, just go find a book and we're in the children's section, you know, find your favorite book and then we'll sit here on the carpet and we'll read a story together before we make our selections and check out. I remember finding this particular book. It was on a very low shelf in the library in the teenage section and it was facing really close to the children's section. And it was on the second shelf from the bottom, which means any little toddler who's just running around could have gone to this section and who knows what. I mean, little kids, different age groups. But all this to say, this book is so incredibly graphic. I can't, I don't feel comfortable reading any of this on this podcast, but if you are curious at what goes through a strict approval process at the California Department of Education, this book is one of them. And here they took it out, but I remember saying to you, you have no idea how important it is what you just said, because what you said exposes this false sense of protection that even I had by hearing the state leaders in education take this out of the health framework. There's so much going on here in education. It's just, it's appalling. And to see some of these topics, these are things I had thankfully never even heard of as an adult. Having to hear the slang terms, it really removes this book really removes the the uniqueness or the, the the sacredness of the sex act and it makes it just this physical pleasure focused only activity but for young people they may not realize what an important decision this is and that there's brain science involved in this you know it's interesting kaya because there's this you know, the Pixar movie that came out, Inside Out, that movie allowed people an open door to see the way that our brain operates and particularly our memories. And there's certain memories that stay in our mind and some of them in our lives we may look back on and we regret. And those memories, specific ones, can often remain very vivid in the memory and as a result, 
they can sometimes yield different thoughts, whether it's happy memories or regret or pain or sorrow. There's so many different aspects. But a young person who is considering engaging in any of these kinds of things, they may not even have the fully, they don't have the fully developed brain to put into the full perspective all of the potential consequences that are not just physical. And that's the thing that I see really missing also in this book. It's interesting. First, the book says some of the titles of these various sex acts, then the slang terms in like a paragraph, and then it says, what is it and how do I do it? And then there's this very long, sometimes um, an entire page or more description of how to engage in this. And then for example, this one that I'm looking at, STD slash STI risk is at the very bottom after the intense description, and it just says very high risk. And then it says in bold pregnancy risk. All it says is very high risk. So how ironic that this author chose to engage in this very lengthy description of all the how-tos and all the pleasure and a more lengthy description in all of the slang, and at the very end, there's this brief little mention of risk. And it's talking about STD, STI, and pregnancy risks. Never ever does it talk about the emotions, the heart, the mind, the brain, the memories. None of that is even considered. Um, and so it's acting as though it is solely physical and involves no other part of our body and our mentality. And I think that's important with the movie. I mentioned that inside out because some things went into her memory bank in that movie and they were there for good. And it clearly appears that there are teachers who believe education is activism and they think that they're operating, I mean, I don't really know what they think. It's hard to imagine that they would they would believe that these actions are positive. It's hard to believe that they would think that these are beneficial. And maybe some do believe that, but they're misinformed. And no one can really clearly speak of of care and concern like most parents can for their children. Most parents would, you know, step themselves. They would risk themselves if a car was coming to a sidewalk. They'd push their child out of the way and save their child. Um, but what's happening with these teachers is they're really not thinking of the whole picture and the best interest of the child. They're not thinking about the risks. And the truth is, is that when choices are made and consequences arise, the ones that are pushing these kinds of things, whether it's a teacher or an, a big organization, they are not there for that young adult or for that child when a consequence or a regret arises, it's all of a sudden not something they celebrate.
It's not something that they support. It's not something they want to really address from what it appears. And so it's really important for those listening to this episode, I want to encourage you in some things that we've addressed. Yes, this sex education is here in California and it is occurring in other states, but it's really, really important that parents and guardians are talking to their teens and their children about these topics in an appropriate way and having a good open dialogue at least for the sake of sharing and discussing and having the parent be the primary avenue in which that young person is learning about these topics from the value of the home. Kaya, being in a setting like this, having to endure some of these lessons, some of the tensions in the classroom, the graphic descriptions and literature that you were exposed to while you were in that environment how did this impact you i think the main things that came up in my mind were being overwhelmed very shocked and quite often i'd find myself looking around in the classroom to see if anyone had a similar reaction to me because it was all very off-putting and i didn't quite know how to process it so what i would do is I would think back to my parents and what they've taught me and how I can use those different tools to process and really deconstruct what I'm being taught in order to analyze if it's something worth really taking to heart and critically thinking about it because that's something that's not valued enough. And parents out there, you're probably all worried and upset and are wondering, what am I going to do? I'm scared for my child now after hearing all of this. And something that I can encourage you all to do is to really just be there for your children, like Kelly was saying, because having that support system start in the home and having that conversation and the positive relationship is the strongest thing that you can give your child in order to face the world. Because ultimately, isn't it a parent's job, would you say, to prepare your child to face life on their own, to become independent, to grow into their own person as an individual human being? Because like we're seeing at school, our parents are not always there to help us when we're in these certain situations. What do you say to that as a parent, as a mom, Kelly? Exactly. I think the most important thing is to equip your children because it's important that they're ready if they're facing these situations. And I mean, it is also, I would say, as important as equipping and having that open dialogue with them that you be the primary educator of your children. And especially on these kinds of topics, it is really important for parents to be talking with their kids about these topics and for children to feel safe coming to mom and dad and having an open discussion with their parents about something that they saw in class that was concerning. Um, Look for the signs in your kids if they are in school and Maybe you might be seeing them start to act differently or act out. It may be that they have a situation going on in school that they have yet to tell you about. Or maybe there's just so much of this. You know, I often think about, we hear about these various trainings 
that different work environments are going through in uh, in the workplace, like we've all heard of of Coca-Cola and and some of their white privilege and racially focused trainings that I will say a lot of people disagree with while there's people that have jumped on to agreeing with that. But what's going on in some schools is that this is almost become like a continuous feed. So if you're noticing something in your student, investigate it. Be a researcher. Ask more questions in a loving way, in a not a not a overly, you know, intensified, maybe probing way, but ask questions and then try and look through um, talk about what they're learning or what books they're reading or has there been something that you heard in school from a school staff member or a teacher or something that that you felt uncomfortable by or was there any situations in school that have made you feel uncomfortable those kinds of questions are good to engage in that dialogue with your teen or your child if they're in the public school or any public charter it's really important to be aware of what's going on there hyper vigilant and while it's great to opt your students out if my children were still in the public school system I would be opting them out but I also would have to be aware of the fact that opting my children out does not mean they will be fully opted out because it's being woven into every subject. So raise up your children, have that important relationship where you engage in these discussions about what's happening and what we're seeing and instill your family values. Kaya, what is your message for parents who may be listening in on this podcast? One of the biggest things that I can recommend is to have a very strong parent-to-child relationship because often parenting nowadays, you find so many different books in the library on how you should parent your child, but most successfully when you find a confident young adult who knows what they believe in and have a good relationship with their parents, it's not rooted from a friend-to-friend relationship between the family members, but it's having a strong role model of who to look up to in, in that relationship. So parents, you really do need to lead your children in the right direction towards truth. And from a very young age, if possible, You need to teach them how to critically think because how to think is now being taught in school. And so if your children are able to do that on their own before these difficult topics we covered are brought up, then they are less likely to become victims of it. So, for example, my parents did their ultimate best to be present in my life from a very young age and taught me how to think and really guided me through that process from a very young age. So having that strong parent to child relationship is essential, but also you might think like, well, I have a preteen and I have no idea how they're going to react to this because they're at such a vulnerable age. And at that point, you really need to be accessible and loving, but your, your parenting approach does change over time from when they're very young. You need to protect them from themselves, and you need to tell them what they can and cannot do. And it changes from that into 
guiding them on their own journey and helping them make their own decisions because they're in that transitional process between needing their hand held and being coddled into changing how you love on them and show affection, which is strongly guiding them through the process of becoming a young adult and pointing out those inconsistencies in society and using those as examples throughout their life, but in order to help them gain perspective through your lens and your teaching without having the teachers get there first, because not all teachers are bad. Right, but we have so many great teachers there out there. There are so many wonderful teachers that need to be acknowledged because they are doing the right thing. And they're, they feel stuck also because they're feeling the pressure from the teachers' unions and the, the board, the school boards. And so they're feeling probably the same way you do because they care about your children as well. They are good people. Let's not just write them all off as bad individuals who just want to destroy children. But having that relationship with them and changing your parenting style to what is appropriate for what phase of life they're in, showing them the, a clearly defined difference between right and wrong in the immediate in order to train them to understand and have that thought process and have them able to recognize the difference between what is truth versus what isn't, and then helping them put that into practice later on when they're able to have those level those skills of discernment because, of course, their brains change and we develop and we're becoming young adults working towards independence. And a message to students who are out there, I empathize with you and I was once in your position and I spoke out against the way that the school was approaching the curriculum and taking care of the, the students and do not be discouraged. There's so many other people out there in your position. And as long as you know what's right in your heart and you know what is true because hopefully because of your parents teaching you what is right versus what isn't, then there isn't a whole lot to worry about. But it's up to the parents to make the biggest difference to stand up and to make it known that they will draw a line with what is most appropriate for children. I also think when it comes to some of these things in the schools, if you have the ability, I know not everybody does, but if you have the ability to look into other schooling options, it's a great opportunity. It's not one that everybody currently has, but um, just pay attention to your child and, and do as much research and investigation as you possibly can because it may be that your child or your teen doesn't tell you something, but through your own investigation, you discover it. And that has been my family's experience where there was something that, or some things that occurred in the school that our children were too young to articulate to us, but through investigation and research, we were able to discover what happened. Kaya, this has been a very important interview and parents, this is precisely why we need to be involved um, now that we're aware 
this is why I encourage all of us to stand, to get involved if you can at the local level, to know what's being taught, to attend a school board meeting and be aware of those agendas and packets that the school board provides on their district website. While it's important to follow what's coming from the California Department of Ed or your local county office of education or the other trends happening in education, it's also very important to pay attention to your local school level. If, if you're someone who is really invested and has some time to offer, maybe even consider running for school board. And keep researching. We're going to continue on with further updates, but I just want to encourage all of you out there. There have been many other times in history when difficult situations have presented themselves to young people. There have been throughout all of history, you can look far back throughout history, there have been other times where other challenges presented themselves and I do believe that every generation has its set of challenges to interact with. And I want to encourage you that we can take action. We can have courage. And we're not fully unequipped to handle these situations. Sometimes it's a learning curve. When I started out, I had no idea how to go to a school board meeting. When I started out, I knew very little about schools and and all of this school politics. I had no idea about teachers unions and their influence. I didn't realize all these different curriculum providers. I started out as a mom determined to get to the bottom of things. And that led to another thing which led to another thing. And so I want to encourage you, these are your children. If somebody came upon your young child on a playground and tried to lure them away with candy or or tried to talk with them and show them some of the content that is being openly shown in some of these schools, you would get up and probably say something. Who's the stranger talking to your child? It's important that we're vigilant about protecting and advocating for our children. So be equipped and be encouraged. This is just some of the things that our generation is called to face, and I believe, which is why we named this podcast this name, now is a time to stand. So be encouraged and be implored to get involved and to stand. Thank you, Kaya. Thank you for coming on our, our podcast, and we so appreciate you and your courage. Thank you so much.